Welcome back to Thinking About It. I'm here with Dr. Dave Barker, who is a theologian, um, a professor of theology, at least we would say a certain kind of theology. And Dave, we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning because I read an article. In fact, I've often coming across articles that make a distinction in theology from biblical theology and systematic theology. Um, I think it's an important distinction uh, biblical theology seems to me it's a fairly new concept, although the essence of it has been around since people began to read the Scripture. But we haven't always thought in terms of biblical theology, and I don't recall my days in seminary where that was a thing. Uh, maybe, I, maybe I slept through that class. <laughs> I, you may have taken a course in called uh, Theology of the Old Testament. I don't know whether you Well, did. yes, but I didn't know that was biblical theology. That was biblical theology. I just, I just That's what that was, was. I just thought it was good theology. But <laughs> the term biblical theology kind of crystallized, and so now it's a thing. Right. So we want to talk uh, about why is it a thing? Why do we make the distinction? And what? why is it important for us mm. to think deeply about biblical theology, and why is it so different from systematic theology, which is more important, which is more of a priority. Um, so let's, let's make some definitions here. Sure. Uh, first of all, what is theology? Well, theologos, right, is words about God. So fundamentally, it is what we are, the Bible is the revelation of God. Mm-hmm. So fundamentally, theology is asking, what are we learning about God? So as every Christian, a theologian? In one sense, absolutely. In fact, I would argue that that the Bible only answers three questions. Now, there's all kinds, there's dozens of questions under each of them, but the Bible basically answers three questions. One, what are we learning about God? Two, what are we learning about ourselves as the people of God? Israel, church, community of faith, whatever. And three, what is the world? And the world, I think, falls into two categories. One a world that is basically arrayed against God and his kingdom and the created world. So, so for example, in Genesis 1, what, when we ask the question, what is the world? We would say the world is uh, what we enjoy and live on and are part of as a creation of God. Okay, so theology then is a very broad sense where right. we just learn things about God in, those, in the 30,000 sure. foot systematic theology is something that uh, we've heard more often than biblical theology. So what is systematic theology? Systematic theology is very much a, uh, a really a Western um, way of thinking. Now, again, I really wish Dr. Fowler Stan was here. He is a classic and outstanding systematic theologian. But basically it's a grid that we have put on the text we believe that it emerges from the text. It's not just something we thought up, but we have, we, f- from what we, and it basically emerges from biblical theology, but it's a grid that has emerged and we kind of set it on top of the text and we categorize it. So you've got the theology of God, the theology of Christ, the theology of the Bible, and those have all got fancy words like theology mm-hmm. proper, Christology, bibliology, um, theology of the church, theology of angels, theology of demons, theology of, of salvation, uh, theology of the future, eschatology. And so f- as we have studied scripture, and this has come from 
hundreds and hundreds of years of reflection on, on the part of theologians, we feel that these categories have emerged from the text. We put now on top of the text. Then we read the text through those categories and find support for particular understandings of the theology of God, the theology of Christ, the theology of the Bible, the theology of the church, etc. So it's a kind of an inductive thing that's happened, but it results in this grid. And now we kind of view it through a more of a deductive approach, kind of a top down, mm-hmm. going into the text, looking for support. So why do people talk about, uh, we have a, a need for a new theology. We need to keep doing theology, or we need an African theology. You mentioned Western uh, theology. Um, why isn't theology, theology, theology? Well, to some level it is. And, you know, Theology of God really doesn't change. But at the same time, uh, theology is inevitably addressing questions, addressing issues, all right? So what do we learn about God, but in relationship to whatever... For example, okay, this is really extreme, but you're in a, a, a place where God's people are being persecuted pretty heavily, right? Okay, well, what's the theology of God in that context where... God's people are not being protected. They are, in fact, being executed. So you're motivated to ask questions out of that context. Exactly. Um, liberation theology, right, where, where you've got a lot, uh, where we're in places where uh, slavery is still very much a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, oppression of the poor is very much a reality. Okay, well, we're asking questions about God ourselves in the world, um, through that grid. That's the world they live in. Exactly. So an African theology, for instance, wouldn't contradict yeah. truth, but it would, it would deal with different questions that might seem odd to a Westerner. Like exactly. they, they might have a category um, in the spirit world and ancestor worship and um, a polygamy that, that we wouldn't see in our systematic theology. Exactly. But those it's, are their questions. Exactly. But working through, so for example, uh, th- that would, you would filter that through systematic theology, probably in the doctrine of humankind, doctrine of man, doctrine of humankind. And then out of that comes, again, there's a whole bunch of questions that emerge, but one of them would be, okay, if that's the theology of humankind or people, what is the relationship that people have? Well, one of those relationships is marriage. Now we begin to talk about, okay, what's the theology of marriage? in a context where polygamy exists and how then, and then that blurs over into ecclesiology, which is the theology of the church. And we start asking the question, okay, what do you do with a polygamous convert? Okay. Are we moving now from systematic theology to practical theology, pastoral theology, if you will? Absolutely. Okay. So, (laughs) all right. You Bob and I were talking at the beginning, and we might not go quite this detail, but it's really helpful to think in terms of a kind of a grid or a pyramid. So when you're doing biblical study, you start with the language, you start with the text, and if you don't know the Hebrew and Greek, that's fine. You have a good translation in front of you, NIV or, or ESV or something like that. Then you move up, and through your reading your text, you do your what you call exegesis, you lead out the meaning, then you go to your hermeneutics, so you interpret incorrectly. Then you go to biblical theology, which is asking the question of what is, what is the theology found in the book of Genesis? What's the theology found in the book of Romans? What's the theology found in the book of James? All right? Then you move from a good biblical theology foundation into systematic theology, which we work through those various mm-hmm. categories, about eight, seven, eight categories. 
that we've actually emerged from the text, but it, we've put on top of it now. Then after that, you might do some historical theology, what has been the history of the church and understanding these mm-hmm. things. Then you move into maybe apologetics uh, and worldview stuff, but then you get into practical theology and how do we make this work in the life of the mm-hmm. church? But you move from the bottom up through kind of, I'm, I'm drawing, a, drawing a picture in the, in, in the air here with kind of a pyramid going step by step up this pyramid. And the last thing we do is, of course, what we call practical theology or pastoral theology and that kind of thing. Are you teaching this anywhere? Is this part of your... Yes. I teach this in... Uh, I, I lay out this grid when I teach my course in hermeneutics, and I'm teaching a course in pastoral theology right now, mm-hmm. and I laid this grid out to tell them where they are in the system. Okay, what, do you, what happens if you read uh, Paul, for instance, and you've got a theology of Paul? I know... The just shall live by faith, uh, we're saved by grace, faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then I read James. Sure, of course. And they, they're, they're con- they contradict each other. No, they don't. What, how come it seems like they do? <laughs> because they are looking at, at the same point from two different sides. Paul does not deny the fact that works is part of the whole thing, even mm-hmm. in, in, uh, in Romans 8 and Romans 3 and other places, right? Romans 5, too. Uh, but James is also not denying the fact that faith exists. He says, you got faith. Good. That's great. I'm glad you got faith. Show it to me by your works. Then Paul turns around and says, it's not by works, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Okay. So if we were to say, um, doing biblical theology, we go to James and ask the question, what is James saying about salvation? And it's a little bit different from what Paul, not contradictory, I realize that, but there is a different emphasis. So, so what would we say, um, how, how is our theology helped by reading James? Because it, it finishes, it completes the picture. You got another picture in, in 1 John, when he begins to talk about love, and he, he pours in the notion of love. If you don't have love, then you're not part of the people of God, right, in 1 John. And you got, so the whole point is... To look at, you know, there's a Pauline theology, there's a Petrine theology, there's a James theology. And I think those are all valuable to look at, and they're all aspects of the same big picture that can't be captured. Because we're, we're dealing with an infinite God with an infinite reality of, of salvation and a whole domain of what salvation means and living out that salvation. And so... In many ways, no one person can capture it all. Mm-hmm. And Paul was addressing certain things in his context that needed to be addressed. And he was addressing the whole point of works as critical to not just showing salvation, mm-hmm. but being saved. Mm-hmm. James is working in a whole different context. Yeah. right? I kind of think that Scripture would be incomplete if, if it wasn't for James. I mean, all of Scripture is there for our instruction. And if we don't read James and we only read Paul, I think we're missing something. Um, I know that you can get saved from reading Paul, but the Spirit of God intended for us to have the whole counsel of God so that, as you say, both sides of the coin are properly appreciated. Okay, so Dave, you're, you're preaching in Psalms, and, and you're a biblical theologian. So um, would you take the time to put that psalm in its historical context? Would you think of the author of that psalm? Would you look in, into its canonical context? Where is it in the, in the canon? I mean, how much time would you spend 
um, explaining that context in a sermon, for instance? Uh, significant. Um, you didn't intend to do this, but I've just written a book. <laughs> it's called This Poor Man Called Songs and Stories of David. And what I have done is I have taken, taken nine events in David's life that the Psalms point to in titles, rewritten the story in my own words, but done a, done a full exposition of 11 different Psalms. Mm-hmm. And every one of them had to do with, okay, what's the context, what's the culture, what's the canonical boundaries of this thing, and work through the exposition of the Psalm and then ask the three questions out of this psalm, what have we learned about God? What have we learned about ourselves? And what have we learned about the world? Um, so you've asked me the question, you know, that's in a written text. I would never read what, <laughs> oh, I might actually, you know what? Uh, I have actually done some of those chapters in that book in a sermon where I've actually so- sat on a stool, read the, <laughs> read the story in my own words, and then done a full, mm-hmm. like a 20-minute exposition of the psalm, 25-minute exposition of the psalm. But I would deal with mm-hmm. Okay, the setting, the context, the culture, the canonical placement, and all the rest of that stuff. For sure. The type of psalm. So a biblical theologian does all that work, and then a systematic theologian might come and just, you know, skim off the top of that and say, okay, here are the conclusions that have been generated by uh, biblical theologians, and he'll just take that and collect all these teachings— and put it into a catalog, if you will, so that we get what the whole scripture is saying on a particular subject, but not a deep dive on how that uh, teaching emerged in the context of Psalm or an Old Testament sure. text. Yeah, and so a systematic theology would, a systematic theologian would work much more in a full canonical context, all sixty-six books, when biblical theologians are working in a very specific place and asking those questions about God ourselves in the world. Okay, one minute left. How significant is it when you read a minor prophet to put that in the context of the canon? Uh, I think quite important. Um, both canon as well as the historical context. For mm-hmm. example, if you're reading Isaiah, okay, he said in the context of the impending demise of the northern kingdom mm-hmm. uh, by the Assyrians, right? So uh, you've got to understand that that's what's going on there if you're going to hear Isaiah appropriately. Uh, if you're reading uh, Daniel, well, that's not a minor prophet, neither does Isaiah, but let's say, for example, let me use Haggai. Mm-hmm. Well, you need to know that Haggai is speaking in the post-exilic era, and um, the people in the post-exilic period were struggling with what they needed to do to be the people of God, especially mm-hmm. wrapped around the temple, mm-hmm. and Haggai is blistering them for abandoning their call. Mm-hmm. So yes, I think it's really important. But I would also argue that systematic theologians are really, really conscious of context as they go back into the text in a little bit more of a broad shape. But again, uh, we've talked about our, our friend, Dr. Fowler. Uh, this, what made, this is what made him a brilliant theologian, systematic mm-hmm. theologian, because mm-hmm. he was first a brilliant biblical theologian mm-hmm. and a biblical hermeneutist. Yeah. Um, and he brought all those tools to the table. Plus, he, he loves the church, and uh, he makes the application yeah. in a pastoral way. So, yeah. So, so in anyway. conclusion, um, just I'm going to read this little sentence, but what is biblical theology? It says, mm-hmm. a biblical theologian would typically ask, what is the historical development of the teaching about the kingdom of God as it is seen through the history of the Old Testament 
and then of the New Testament. Yes. I think that's helpful. It really is. Okay, Dave, we are out of time. Thanks for thinking about biblical and systematic theology with us. Until next time, I'm Bob McGregor. And Dave Barker. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.